And a lot of those musicals were not getting produced. They were just sitting and they weren't getting picked up and there was no movement on them at all. We need to talk about songs. Somebody has to make conversation. People talk while dancing Hi everybody, this is Bob Ost and welcome to the Friday True Community Gathering. I think it's the 93rd or 94th that we've done consecutively since April 17th, 2020. <laughs> I can't believe that I live in Zoom now. Back in 2020, at the beginning of, of the year, I absolutely dreaded the idea of having to go virtual and do anything virtual. What do I know about virtual? I'm not a tech person. But we did it. We made the pivot. I, I found out that it's something that's useful and, and not so bad. Uh, yeah, I didn't think I was ever going to be doing Zoom, but I, I've, I've discovered that it's, it's. I thought that I couldn't recreate the experience that I thought was the quintessential true experience. I may be self-aggrandizing unintentionally, but my experience from, uh, from basically talking to other people who've been through our programs, when we did our panels, uh, there was a, an immediacy and a, an, an intimacy and a warmth that the people said they felt, they felt, uh, coming to our live panels. And I didn't think I could create recreate that on Zoom. But it turns out that we manage to connect as human beings uh, when we have to, even on something virtual and something technical like Zoom. So um, I've come to really, really uh, embrace Zoom and I'm very happy to be here with you in Zoom now and in virtual now. And I'm gonna continue it for a while. I'm not gonna, we're not gonna go live. We are looking for a space so that we can do um, our monthly panels, uh, and we're going to do those panels live, but with a live streaming uh, component as well. So um, that's what we're looking forward to right now. We're going to continue doing our community gatherings on Friday on Zoom, though. So um, we've talked about a lot of different things, and we've talked about various things in terms of how to be creative and how to stay sane during COVID, yada, yada, yada. You, you, you all know it. You've heard me say this every week. The conversations are, are getting a little broader now. We're able to actually think outside the Zoom box and think about what's going on outside in the world uh, in general. I'm looking every week for interesting guests to come to talk about subjects that I think are going to be of interest and use. Interest and use. Use is a very important thing to me for, for uh, all of you in the community who, are, who come here to be with us each week. And I couldn't help but notice there were a couple of you who were into musicals. Thus, I uh, felt very strongly that it, it made sense to jump in two weeks in a row and actually talk about musicals and uh, development of musicals, and also, which is what we did last week, and this week we're going to talk about some of the production opportunities. We have two guests with us, so I'm going to bring in right now, now that the outside noise has stopped for me. And I want you to meet Tim Jerome and John Sparks, both of whom are old old friends of mine. Although, John, I have to tell you, Tim and I know each other a lot longer than I know you. We go back to, I don't know, uh, Victorian era, era, wasn't it? Yes, I think Victorian era. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know why that should be true, Bob. Because I think I'm older than both of you. But if that's the way it is, that's the way it is. So I did well. I didn't know you then. That's the, that's the point. <laughs> I knew. I was actually working for Tim Jerome at one point. I want to actually have you both talk about your background with musical theater, your history of musical theater. Don't go into too much detail because it would take more than an hour. Because both of you have done have done so incredibly much. Uh, in in terms of the development of new voices for theater, 
Tim, why don't you give us a little bit about your background first? My background. Okay, that's it. How about that? No, no. no. Um, all right, I, I've been an actor in the in in, in the New York theater scene uh, since uh, since the mid '60s. I uh, I've done a, a number of Broadway shows, off Broadway shows, regional shows, tours. That's where I prime. That's my primary activity and my prime and my for and my profession. I'm a professional actor in the musical theater. Although I've done a fair number of straight plays of non musicals. Yeah, but Tim, I'm I'm thinking more in terms of Baker's Dozen National Alliance. Well, you know, you you've been you've been part of the musical theater uh, development scene for. I was just about I was just about to get in, get into that. Okay. About 40 years ago, in, in, um, in 1984, I was uh, 38 years old then, or so, no, 40 years old or so. And um, I had been doing a lot of theater and I was bothered by a problem. And the problem that I saw was that uh, there were a lot of people writing good musicals and a lot of, mus of those musicals were not getting produced. They were just sitting and they weren't getting picked up and there was no movement on them at all. And, and it was very frustrating. It was frustrating. I figured it out because I was doing a lot of readings. I was doing readings and showcases and workshops and show on, stuff like that. And those and even in the best of those shows, they weren't moving. And I put my mind to it. I have an engineering background um, uh, in college. My dad was an engineer. So it's, engineering is it's essentially problem solving. And I had to figure out what the problem was and what the problem as I, as I began to understand it was, and still is, is that New York is the center of the musical theater and that everybody wants their musicals done in New York. And there just simply isn't enough space in New York. There aren't enough producers in New York. The regional theaters, the regional communities don't have as many shows, new shows being produced there. And I think it occurred to me, well, maybe there could be some way of getting some of these really good shows and shipping them out to the regions and getting those regional uh, producers interested in producing new work. So I set about to create some sort of a plan, some sort of a process. And the process that I, that I came up with, I incorporated under the name National Music Theater Network. NMTN. And NMTN did two things. We did what was called evaluation and what we, and the second was uh, pro, a promotion or development, promotion for development. People who wrote the musicals would submit their musicals to National Music Theater Network. And here was the big secret plan that I came up with and eventually established. I recruited professional directors and the professional directors that I that I recruited, this was before the, we actually launched National Music Theater Network. We wrote up an evaluation report form. This is the treasure that, and I'll, and I'll hold it up here. This is what Well, you're on the blurred background right now. <laughs> I know. How do I get off the blurb? Uh, doesn't exist like this anyway anyway it's not on paper it's in the it's in the computer this evaluation report form identifies for anyone who would be reading a show 
identifies the areas in which uh, 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 comments might be made. Comments about the book, comments about the, 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 the lyrics, comments about the music, uh, comments about the way the characters are developed, comments about, uh, about the gen general interest values and, and comedy and things like that. These questions are specifically asked because these are the questions that the directors came up with that ought to be asked. Well, so we created Tim, the I'm going to push. I'm going to push you along a little bit because we. I want to get to today. So, uh, so. All right, I'm moving quick. I'll move quicker. Okay. So if you if a creator submits the material, submits their musical, two directors will read the material and fill out evaluation report forms, which are returned to the creative teams. If either of either or both of the directors indicate that they recommend the musical for development, it moves into what we now call the library of recommended works. There used to be a catalog of recommended works, which before before digital, we would we would uh, print up um, on an annual basis and uh, of all the musicals that had been recommended. The catalog. I'm curious. Am, am, am I still in the catalog? Because that's how I originally met you. Was you I, must. I, be. I, I, I submitted. Which was what was the name of the show? Finale. Finale. Finale yeah, and, and basically, uh, I submitted it to you, and through you, it also wound up with the National Alliance of Musical Theaters, and I was they did my show the second year, and mm -hmm. oh no, no, I, I I was with them first, and they you found me through them. That's how it, that would, how it happened, as I, as ah. I recall. Okay, well, uh, I mean, if we have digital material, it goes into the library because now the library is a digital thing. If we don't have digital material, because below, uh, uh, starting in 84 and up until the, you know, the early 2000s, people were submitting their musicals on paper and, and cassette tape. Those we don't have digital material for are in what is called the annex, and they're just listed. We don't have the materials for them anymore. I am recruiting people and if you know anybody, please send them to me, who can call up these creative teams and say, do you have a digital material for your show? If you do, I do <laughs> we can take the show and OK, well, uh, Bob, you should you should we should be talking. OK, I, I can move it from the annex into the library proper okay. in the library. The list of shows goes. Uh, we have about uh, over 100 shows listed in the library. If you click on the title, it goes to a show page. And what we give away is the synopsis. The uh, the script and the and the audio demos. There's a so you, basically you're saying that this still exists. This is still part of. Yes, the, if you go to mainstreetmusicals.org, there's a the menu has a library. Ah, uh, now I library get the connection. So in other words, Tim, what happened was all of the material that you've been collecting when you were M N M N M N N T M N M T N. I know N M T N N M T N. All these uh, anagrams, um, all that stuff moved into mainstream musicals. That's so, right. So, so mainstream is, is, an, is an evolution of the company that I know you from originally. Right. And if you give me one second, I'll tell you exactly what happened. And that was that uh, NMTN created the New York Musical Theater Festival in, in 2004. In 2008, I was forced to resign from NMTN because they were only, the, the board was only really interested in the New York Musical Theater Festival. They didn't want to go regional. And I thought that, that was the reason I started the company, was to get these shows into the regions. Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Toulousma. 
I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Tulusma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on Electricast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. And so I resigned from the company and I started two years later, I started Main Street Musicals. Main Street Musicals has the original programs, the evaluation program and the development with the library and uh, discovered a couple of years later that the New York Musical Theater Festival had uh, gone bankrupt. You see, I, th- these are things I didn't, I didn't know. I never made the connection between... And MTN. And MTN and, and, and Main Street and Main Street. Oh, well, I knew that. I know oh, absolutely. I definitely knew your connection with Nymph. Yeah. I mean, I was I was there at an early conversation with Chris Stewart. So yes, Chris Stewart was the guy who came up with the idea, and he was working for me. And I said, "Go ahead, do it." And it was. It seemed to be very successful. I was very happy with it, except that uh, it didn't really have an impact on the regions. Well, that's an interesting uh, part of this of the conversation that I just want to insert is that Nymph was a, was a developmental opportunity that was, in theory, a great opportunity for all of us musical writers. the <laughs> The problem was that it became it became commercialized in many ways, and people became competitive commercially, and thing it became r- ridiculously expensive. It was ridiculously expensive to run. It was ridiculously expensive to be part of. So that I think is what may have been contributed to its demise um uh, i do i i would prefer in the in the little bit of time remaining to me to just kind of bring you up to the you present have a, you have a lot more time component that i want to make that i want to mention if you want to talk about nymph i'm you know i'd be very no happy. i don't i don't i want because i want to keep i want to stay on topic today so uh, basically uh john give us a, a bit, little bit of your history you've you've run many different companies that have helped develop new new musicals you're very active and, and helpful with with true as a matter of fact in our musicals reading series well i'll um, i'm happy to give you some background if i thought tim had one more thing he wanted to say i didn't want to interrupt his uh, his well uh, i mean it's up to you it's up to you bob um you want to I'm trying. I try to balance the conversation so that everybody gets to talk. I'll come back to you, then I'll go to John. I'll come back to you, then I'll come back to John. So, John, all right, all right I'll start. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll make this as quick as I can. I my interest in musicals goes back to a day in Boston when I was 15 years old, and I went to uh, see um, first legit show I had ever attended was Goldilocks with uh, music by Leroy Anderson, a book by Walter and Jean Kerr. You have to mention Elaine Stritch. You can't, I had you can't Elaine Stritch okay. and Donna Michi and Margaret Hamilton. I thought I died and went to heaven. I went home and started writing musicals that afternoon. I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but that's what I wanted to do. And I've never wanted to do anything else. A few years later, uh, in 1968, uh, when I moved to Los Angeles, after I graduated from college because it was as far away from my mother as I could get and still be on the same continent, I uh, joined the BMI workshop and learned a lot from Lehman Engel before uh, uh, his illness caused BMI to withdraw funding for all but the New York version of that workshop. And that's when Marty Hansen and I uh, got together and formed the LA version 
of the BMI workshop in 1979, and it has morphed into uh, New Musicals, Inc. I've been kicked upstairs. I'm now known as the founding director, and, I, and I'm not, I don't have hands-on anymore with those writers, but for the better part of 40 years, I did. And the reason behind this, the reason I was working with other writers is because the BMI workshop taught me so much. And when, when we didn't have Lehman anymore, uh, we felt, well, we, we have the collective knowledge he gave us, we should pass this on. So that's why we did it, so that other writers would have some support. Because believe me, if you're a writer of musical theater and you're working in the dark, uh, it helps to have somebody can point out the points of craft that can save you time when you need to know uh, how communication works in the musical theater, both for music and lyrics and dialogue in a different way from the way those same things work in other areas. At any rate, one of the shows I had written, I was fortunate enough to have it picked up by a theater in Chicago where it was produced and ran for several months. And, they were interested in getting a workshop started there. So in 1984, I started a similar workshop in Chicago and commuted from LA to Chicago monthly in order to keep both those workshops going. Ultimately, I became the artistic director at the theater in Chicago, but still on a part-time basis because I had the interest in LA. So I was a bi-urban guy for the better part of uh, 30 years and the thing that the theater in Chicago had was three black box theaters, 150 seats each that had, they were dark Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday nights, which meant, wow, you know, insofar as theater is real estate, you can do readings, you can do rehearsals, you can do workshops, you can do things because you have a space and you can bring an audience into that space. So for all those years, I was able to see to it that a lot of writers saw their work in front of an audience, whether it was in a reading or a workshop or even a developmental production, including many writers from across the pond because for 20 years I was on the board of Mercury Musicals Development in London. And I made annual trips there to give master classes and, and talk to the writers there. And I met many, many talented writers. So um, to make that long story short, now that I've been kicked upstairs in the workshop and I'm not there with hands-on business anymore, I have uh, developed a, uh, a nonprofit of my own called Write for Art Productions. And I'm actively working with writers who are creating uh, character-driven stories with uh, contemporary resonance and doing it in uh, uh, a musical theater format. So I'm really, really, uh, uh, I've become a developmental producer, if you will. Uh, we, have, we have four projects going right now that we're very, very interested in. And I'm also uh, working with uh, the Shanghai Grand Theater and uh, Demai Culture uh, Division of Alibaba to work. I'm working now with five teams of writers in China to develop full-length shows, two of which I'm hoping to produce uh, in Chinese in the Los Angeles area, because there is a large Chinese speaking audience there uh, later this year, because two of the shows are really taking off and I'm very excited. About well, I'm going to ask you more questions about that. I'm going to ask Tom, uh, um, Tim some questions as well. But Tim, what was it you wanted to add before? I just wanted to add that uh, we recently came up with the idea 
of trying to popularize the, the library to students and professors in colleges around the country in the musical theater college uh, community. And uh, I was just in um, at the University of Michigan where we were doing a performance of uh, Fiddler on the Roof. I played the rabbi. And uh, as a matter of fact, we're going to Philadelphia to do the same production uh, with the group of students that were populating that production. I had the opportunity to really talk to these kids. They are so excited about the idea. What we wanna do is develop the concept of table read. You pick a show from the library, you pass out the parts, you have to, you have to uh, videotape the, the, the musical numbers because you can't do musical numbers on Zoom and then sit around the table in a virtual situation, invite the creators to come in and do a table read of the show. Um, that would give these students an opportunity to, to, to communicate with the director, rather with the writers, and find out and maybe offer ideas or offer their vision uh, or, or be seen by people who might then uh, consider them uh, talented enough to bring into a production later on down the road. Uh, this idea of table read, I think, is going to take off. Uh, the kids were so excited about it that I spoke to at the university that I have no doubt that the professors will go for it and that we will start having regional exposure for the plays that are for the musicals that are now in the library. So this speaks to something, the point that you made early on, which actually was the whole purpose of my doing today's conversation, which is you were talking about the fact that the development process was sort of stunted for most shows. I mean, you, 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 you write the show, you might get a developmental reading of it somewhere, but nothing happens afterwards. And it, it happens, it happens over and over again. We, we've all, I'm sure everyone in this room has gone through the, the heartache of what next Okay, we did the reading. What now? I, I wanted... and, and everyone associated with the reading that you did is waiting for it to go on. And then when it doesn't, everybody is, is disappointed. So one of the points that you made that I think I want to just underline is that not, and somebody else also said it in the chat, not every show is destined for, for Broadway or New York. And so the, one of the reasons I jumped on the opportunity to have the two of you talk today is because both of you are very aware that there are opportunities for development and for, for a production beyond the New York Broadway area. Yeah. So first of all, I want to acknowledge you both for doing that because I spent a lot of time running through telling people, yeah, I know you want to go to Broadway, but have you thought about other possibilities? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I say it a lot. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I noticed that over the years, fewer and fewer people are, are basically submitting to us and saying, I see this on Broadway. Uh, more and more people are aware of the fact that there are other steps. It doesn't mean that you're never going to go to Broadway. It just doesn't mean that you're going to jump there from, from a table read to Broadway. So, again, I, I want to just acknowledge you both for being part of of a movement uh, to help writers understand, not that there are other paths, but there simply are paths that you can take. That It's not necessarily a straight line to the uh, Schubert Theater. So, so Tim, let's go back to, to Main Street musicals. You basically, and it, MNTN. I can't, I can't get it in my head. I'm so sorry. And I, and I worked with you on it. That I, was, I was part of that. I did your, I did some of your marketing. <laughs> MNTN. I don't know. Um, so 
so basically, MMT and Main Street Musicals is carrying on the spirit, uh, essentially, of what you had created back then when I first knew you. The exact so, programs, yes. So, um, what what do people need to know about about uh, Main Street Musicals? And about Main of- Street. Well, I, I want to put it right out there that right now Main Street is kind of dead in the water, and we're dead in the water because I don't have an administrator to run the evaluation program. And I don't want, and uh, I mean, I can talk about uh, table read, which I am doing uh, to college professors and college students as much as I can, but it really, we're not gonna go anywhere until I can get the evaluation program back and up and running. There's a new platform, it's all online, but somebody has to welcome the shows in, place the shows in the, in the, on the platform, and recruit directors to read the shows and fill out evaluation report forms, I'm which are also you, digital and online. I'm going to ask you a very sensitive question. Uh, are you funded for, money. for this? Yes, they're money. Uh, no, I'm looking for a development director. Um, all right. Uh, I, I actually recommended a development director to another theater today, so I'll, I'll tell her to also reach out to you. Good. John, uh, how about you? Where are you right now with with NMI? NMI is multi-tiered. It's that's a lot yes. of things. Yes, NMI is ambitious and plans to produce uh, first as a nonprofit, but they also have commercial production uh, uh, plans for their future. Uh, which you know, my hope is that they are going to succeed beyond their wildest imagination. Personally, though. Uh, uh, the one thing I've learned over the years that I've been doing this is that getting new shows on in the smaller regional theaters is easier than in the major regional theaters because of the budgets. I mean, if you go to La Jolla or Fifth Avenue or places like that, uh, it takes well over a million dollars enhancement in order to get a new musical in their season because they do productions that are full fully staged Broadway style productions. And to do that with a new show, of course, it's very expensive. In the smaller regional theaters, however, there is more opportunity. The problem is a new title doesn't sell tickets the way a recognizable title does. And if the theater hasn't done its homework to educate its audience to the joys of new works, it's hard to find an audience beyond friends of the actors and the authors. I mean, this is just reality. And if you look at the programs like at the Village Theater in Issaquah or uh, Theater Works in uh, Mountain View near Palo Alto, you'll find that they spent a decade teaching their audience about the joys of new works. I knew about the joys of new works because I'm from Boston and every show I saw was a new work. That's why I went to them. Nobody had heard the music before. It was like, I wanted to be the first years to hear this music. You know, in those days I paid $9.50 to see Camelot. You know, if you want to see a, a musical of that stature today, I just paid $269 to see a revival of the Music Man, $269. It's like- And, and those weren't the good seats. <laughs> well, they weren't bad, but but uh, no, they were more expensive seats. But my point is that that's an investment now for a theater goer. So they want to know before they go that they're going to have a good time and I don't blame them. And so even, even at a theater where the top ticket is 30 bucks, 
the audience is reluctant to go to something they haven't heard of. So I, we're, we're, we're diverging into, into different areas right now. Uh, so I'm going to continue this, this conversation, but I just wanted to say that the first thing I wanted to do today was make it clear to, to everybody that there were opportunities for, for them to actually get produced. So <laughs> we must establish that I'm wrong. Oh, no, <laughs> no, I'm, not, I'm only kidding. But, but basically, so, so Tim, you're saying that you have a, um, a structure in place, although you need an administrator, you have a structure in place that would allow people's musicals to become uh, visible to regional theaters. And you're also talking now about moving it into college colleges. Yes, that's right. And I would say that, um, the college students themselves told me that many of the college students, their fellow college students are writing new musicals. Now it's a very popular thing to do in musical theater departments. And, uh, and I thought, well, that's great. Here's where our new writers are going to be coming from. So the future is going to be okay. As long as, as long as, um, uh, Putin is put down. Um, but what, what I'm, I think what I'm trying to say is that we have a structure, a function, and if we can popularize the way the, the, the library shows can be used, if we can popularize those, the uses of those materials, I think that we'll see a lot more regional production, regional development. It's all about development because as Bob said, uh, it, it costs a lot of money to do a show on Broadway but you want to start somewhere. And where I want, I think starting in the regions is a very economically reasonable approach to things. So, you know, get your show into the library. I want to, I want to address a couple of things that came up in the, in the chat. Somebody asks about um, how you, <laughs> what your relationship is to New Play Exchange. There is none. Um, so essentially Main Street Musicals is another format for doing what New Play Exchange does for plays. Uh, New, New Play Exchange uh, is set up so that plays are accessible to producers uh, all over the country and readers, and not necessarily limited to regional theaters either. Tim, you, what, you've, what you've done is you've, you're, you're creating a, um, an opportunity for... Okay, let's put it this way. How does somebody find the shows in your catalog? How do they find your catalog? Let's, let's, well, let's take it a step at a time. It's as simple as going to a website. Mm -hmm. If you go to the, the, the homepage of Main Street Musicals, that's MainStreetMusicals.org, right there it says library. You click on library and you're there. And all you have to do is scroll down because there's about a hundred shows with their titles in red uh, listed one after the other, after the other. Uh, check it out. Uh, if you click on any of the titles, you will see the materials that you would need to develop an interest. You can't. You can download the, the script. You can download the. Uh, I guess you can download the, the demos, but uh, and the synopsis and so, background, but, the bios of the creative teams if they've included it. Because, because, because want, a lot of people were, were here for the new play exchange meeting. I just want to clarify a couple of things. First of all. What you're doing is related. It's like a third cousin to New Play Exchange, but the uh, New Play Exchange um, does not vet the pieces. that Anybody can download their 
plays to new play exchange. It can be one X, it can be full lengths, it can be anyone and everyone. So they've got thousands and thousands and thousands of product on that website, which is which is great for you know by some some standards. But your yours for musicals for people that are interested in musicals, if they go to your website, they know that they're going to be seeing a vetted list of of musicals that your evaluators have have deemed worthwhile. That was the word that I was looking for, vetted. These shows have all been vetted. That's why we call them recommended works, because they an actual professional director, or more than one, has recommended each of the works, each of the hundred, well, each of the over 250 works that are listed in, the, in, the, in that area. Unfortunately, as I said, I don't have the materials for a lot of them because they were done, you know, they were done before we had a digital. But um, I, I want to make clear that for those musical theater writers in the, in the crowd here, that we do not give away the score. That if somebody's interested in the show from listening and reading the script, listening to the demos, they would have to get in touch with us because we do not allow the score out because we want the creators to know that wherever where a work is going to be presented the people who are interested would have to get in touch with the, the creators to get the score and uh, then set up a situation where the creators could attend maybe the table read that is developed. So how do people submit their work to you in, uh, for evaluation? Same, the information all about, the inf- uh, about submitting the work is on the homepage of the Main Street Musicals website. I became aware of it a couple years ago uh, because... You were actually, somebody was saying that you were looking for shows, and so I submitted to you. It wasn't a difficult process. I, I do remember that. And I was very pleased that you liked my, you liked my work. It may <laughs> have your, re- your readers from, liked it. It may have changed from when you, uh, I don't know whether you uh, put it into the, uh, I don't know whether people are aware of. Uh, I got critiques. I got, I got evaluations. Yes, I okay. got evaluations. And, but um, what I'm saying is that we now have a platform that's a digital platform uh, that is provided by an organization called Accepted. People know Accepted, especially if they are involved with colleges, because that's where kids do their auditions, their dance auditions, their singing auditions, uh, and, and the colleges subscribe to Accepted, and they see all these auditions and they recruit their freshman class. They've provided us with an evaluation uh, platform. Uh, I need to, just to be perfectly frank with you guys, I need to make sure that that platform really works well before I open up the, uh, the evaluation program again. So that's another thing that, that has to be done. So we're about, you know, at best case scenario, if I have my people, uh, I, I'm about uh, two weeks or to a month away from opening up the the submission. Well, that's good news for everybody. The play, the show that I that I submitted to Main Street is different from the one that you that you had back back then, where you need you, you need yeah, it's not finale. It's Angel in My Heart. Angel in My Heart was was. Uh, I know it. I know the title. So, John, tell us. <laughs> Tell us about all the things that NMI do uh, in general, and then specifically for for the writers in this room, what they what they could do to to benefit from what you offer. Well, NMI uh, has an annual search for musicals, uh, and uh, 
for a very small fee, they will read your musical and give you a, a brief uh, critique. Uh, but they select a couple of shows uh, for uh, further development, either in a, a concert reading or a couple of the couple of them. I think uh, they do table readings, which they screen so that if the authors are not local, they can still watch the process and hear the critique from the team that's putting it together. They, they hear from the director, the music director, the actors, et cetera. Uh, and they also have, uh, if you go on uh, the website, uh, www.nmi.org, they have a, a long list of uh, uh, services for a fee. You can get an in-depth evaluation. You can, get, you can get a reading. You can purchase a table reading. You can purchase a concert reading uh, of your show. Uh, depending on how many actors, et cetera, they have a various uh, scale. Uh, so they will, you know, when you purchase your reading, they just do what you ask them to do. But when they find your show that they want to develop, then that then the the, the reading costs are on them, not on not on the authors. So um, to, you'd have to check out the website to see all the different services. I would recommend that everybody go there and just look at the uh, resource file because they do keep uh, a list of uh, submission opportunities for contests and festivals, et cetera. And they also keep a list uh, of uh, public domain titles and they keep it up to date as titles going into the public domain, which come sometimes are very useful to writers who are looking for a project that has uh, at least some recognition factor to it. I want to name the baby for a second because I know that this is an issue for people. Submission fees. My fellow writers, yes, a lot of us charge submission fees. And it's up to you to evaluate the the program that is being offered whether you want to whether you think it's worth a $25 or $30 or $15 fee for what what is offered. I've been um, I've been flamed on the internet uh, for for charging a fee. We charge a fee at, at, at True for a very simple reason. We want everybody to be members of True, and if you're a member of True, then you don't have any fee. So I don't care about the fee. I don't charge the fee because I want to be mean or I want your money. I charge the fee so that I can offer my members um, something something special. Other people charge fees evaluate the company, evaluate what they're offering and see if it's worth the, the, the fee to you. Please don't just, just hate everybody because, oh, the Dramatist Guild says I should never pay yeah. for anything. Uh, be, I, I, use your grown-up head. I, I feel the same way you do, Bob. And for many, many years, the festival that I ran in Chicago annually for uh, about 15 years, uh, there was no fee for submission, and I was able to get artistic directors through NAMPT from various uh, theaters who had a track record of developing new musicals, and I got them to be the readers for that festival. So, so that meant that when you submitted to that festival, your show got read by, uh, if you got to the finals, it had been read by six different artistic directors at different theaters all of whom had an interest in developing new musicals. So that was, that was in itself very useful to the writers. And, and I still do that today 
when I'm trying to find uh, production opportunities, I know the theaters that have developmental programs and I contact them and say, hey, read this synopsis and listen to a couple of songs and tell me if you have any interest in reading this show. And it is very useful to the authors just to get that exposure. And uh, uh, I think one of the things that's difficult for authors who are not known in the field to get an artistic director to even read, because you go to the bottom of the pile as soon as your script comes in, it's at the bottom of the pile. And the first person to read it isn't gonna be the artistic director, it's gonna be some reader, some intern, you know, who may or may not like it. So I, I am, you know, I, I try very hard uh, to be selective. I mean, oh, uh, my advice to writers is, boy, do your homework and find out who's producing what, what their mission is, what their audience is like. Don't submit just anything to just any theater because they produced a musical last year. Make sure you know that what you're sending them is something they might have an interest in. Uh, and then try to get somebody like me to make a recommendation for you because that is helpful or, or uh, use Tim's program, for instance, where, where they have some confidence, they know that professionals have looked at this material and found it uh, worthy of your attention. Uh, that's, that's really important for people. I just wanted to, to say that our, for anybody who doesn't know, our, our reading processes, uh, we have every play that comes to us and every musical that comes to us gets read by three people. I, I don't ever, I'm always surprised if, if people agree on, on anything anything in life. <laughs> so I don't really think that one or two reads really tells us anything other than this person liked it and this person didn't. But we, we believe that three reads give us, gives us a, fair, a fair idea of whether something is, is worth pursuing. And the readers are generally, um, we have producers, we have, we have dramaturgs, directors, we have, they're all theater professionals who are reading. We don't have, occasionally we'll have an intern that's, that reads, but not usually. So that's our process, and we, we, do, we haven't opened up for musical readings because of what Tim said earlier, which is basically we haven't figured out how to effectively do readings on Zoom. Now that we're heading back into live theater, uh, there's a lot of people pulling for me to, uh, to come back with our live musicals reading series, which we might do. I don't, I don't know. Watch this page. Yeah. Um, so let, let's see if, if we have uh, any questions from, from uh, the chat. Does anybody have a, oh, here's a question. John Sparks, in your Los Angeles productions, which theater will you be using to reach your Chinese American audiences? So, well, you know, let's go back to that. Let's go back to that program and, and tell us a little bit about what you're doing there and what shows might be of interest or you might be interested in somebody's work for any reason. The theater that I'm hoping to use for presentations of concert readings of the Chinese musicals is uh, a small theater in, uh, oh, good Lord, uh, don't get old people. Uh, I'll think of the name as I'm talking to you. I, this happens to me all the time. It's just a little past Pasadena and before Arcadia. It's between Pasadena and Arcadia. And, uh, but they- I'm there, I'm there already, okay. <laughs> they have uh, uh, an audience, uh, for these Chinese shows because they recently very successfully produced uh, the Joy Luck Club, the play. 
and uh, and the audience was uh, very enthusiastic from Arcadia. These are are uh, Chinese people, many of them Chinese speakers. And uh, I wish, gosh, I wish I could say the name of that community. Uh, well, I have a question for you. Uh, is this reciprocal? I mean, are, 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 is China open to works from America to, to be taken over there? The people I'm working with, no. They are, the, there are producers in China that are producing American musicals all the time. They're very popular there but they're not interested in new American musicals. They're interested in developing new Chinese musicals for Chinese audiences. And I think one of the reasons that uh, we want to do these readings in, God, I can't come up with the name of that playhouse. Come on, Tim, help him. One of, one of the reasons we want to do that is because there's not only a Chinese audience there, there is potential uh, uh, backer money there in that audience. And so they're looking for they're looking for the material and they're looking for the resources to produce the material. There's there's a long history uh well not long, but there are decades of interest in musical theater uh in China and they are tired of importing shows. They want they want to develop their own but the the new shows that have worked in China have not had long runs. They, they will spend millions for a show that's only going to have a couple of weekends of performances. And well, then that's the end of it. Well, Tim has talked about uh, and, uh, the opportunities that he offers to get shows from any of, any of us here in the room out to regional theaters and to colleges. Is there any part of NMI that, that actually helps raise awareness of, of, new, of new shows? Well, NMI uh, traditionally has done it through NAMPT, you know, and, uh, uh, but NMI also networks very heavily with uh, uh, smaller regional theaters all over. So yes, their, uh, uh, Scott Guy, who's the executive director has contacted a number of producers that are vitally interested in developing small cast musicals that they can tour, um, successfully and the producers that say yeah we could sell that yeah we could sell that yeah so, we could so sell that. i got the bell going ding 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 so yeah. can you put me in touch with that person so that i can have them come here and talk to us like in a few in the future oh sure that, uh, that's uh, that's uh, you asked me earlier for elise's uh email and scott guy is the executive at the at uh, nmi and he's the same email scott at nmi.org so, so there is. Uh, so, what they do when they find a list of producers that are interested in a given project, then they look for the writers that they know and say, "Hey, this would be a good project for Sam. This would be a good project for Sally." And they assign people to write a pitch, and then they talk to the producers and say, "What do you think of this pitch?" And if they say, "No, we don't like that music. We want it more contemporary," and they go to another composer and say, "Do you want to write a pitch?" and Basically, they're dealing with public domain material or sometimes with original ideas. And they're being very active about developing relationships with producers because they, they want to get some of their members, but they're also interested in any writer that can help them develop one of these shows with one of these producers that does a successful tour and uh, bring somebody some money because they realize that 
Once that happens, it will happen again. And once it happens two or three times, it'll be much easier to have it happen a half a dozen times. So I've got a question from the room for, for Tim. It's kind of a hypothetical, I think. Since you're in a situation right now where, the, where you need more, more help with your organization to begin with, uh, he wants to know whether beyond doing table reads with colleges and universities, have you ever thought about uh, the possibility of moving things into productions with colleges and universities? Let me make clear that it was never our aspiration as a company, or certainly as the founder of the company, to become a producer. Uh, we don't produce the table reads. The colleges produce the table reads. And we will never go, we will never do uh, productions. I mean, it's just not right. It wouldn't be right. Uh, uh, you know, what, what I'm doing is I'm making these resources available to producers and to colleges and to students and to whomever is curious. But as far as us going any further with those materials, it's not gonna happen, not under my watch. Okay, and John, uh, R.K. Green is suggesting Alhambra or Altadena. No, it's not Alhambra, it's not Altadena. Oh, okay. this is driving me crazy. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh God. Uh, the Sierra Madre Playhouse, excuse me. Somebody finally put it up there. It was Larry Daggett. Thank you, Larry. Yes, it's the Sierra Madre Playhouse. It's basically a community theater, but in recent years, they've had a wonderful artistic director and a, a really high quality production program. Uh, I produced for them or co-produced uh, a couple of musicals. One, one was their summer show and one was their Christmas show. And I have a really good relationship with the board and with the executive. I think they're now looking for an artistic director. And I know that since COVID, they've had, you know, all kinds of problems because they can't, they can't have an audience or they weren't able to have an audience in the theater. So they weren't, there was no income. They're in an upheaval. So they have dark nights. And when I suggested, gee, I've got these, Chinese plays that I want to do, it looks very possible that, that I will be able to use their space. And going back to the experience I had in Chicago, theater is real estate. If you have a place to perform, that's really all you need. It's, it's Peter Brook, four walls. That's what you need is a space. And you can do your show. Without real estate, however, the cost is going up fast. I have another comment from Ed Levy that I'd like to address. Am I correct in saying that if you are selected to present at NAMP, do you pay the cost of the production? First of all, I don't know who the who who the you refers to. Does it mean do you mean the writer? Do you mean do you mean the producer? The producer NAMP basically has shows that come in that are sponsored by right. by by different uh, regional theaters, and the different and the regional theater is responsible for paying the costs. You, the writer is not responsible for paying for the the costs in in NAMP. Uh, although right. the year the year the year that I was in NAMP, to be honest. Um, the, the theater didn't, didn't have as much money as I needed, and I had to, I had to uh, add some money to that in order to pay everybody that was involved in my... It's my own fault for having a big cast. <laughs> so there you go. So basically, we're, we're at 6.30 now, so if anybody would like to raise their hand virtually and, and, and ask a question, I, I've sort of gone through the, the, the chat to see what I could find, and I, I may have missed some things, so please... Feel free to ask questions and feel free to raise your hand virtually if, if possible, or just unmute yourself and, and talk and say to us what it is you want to know. 
Barbara Bellman, did you have something that you wanted to ask? Well, I, first of all, I wanted to thank our speakers tonight for sharing what is a, uh, it's a, it's a challenging job and uh, probably often a thankless job. And I wanna thank you guys for participating tonight and for doing what you're doing. Uh, I've taken a lot of notes on this and I've got a lot of, uh, a lot of follow-up that I wanna do. The next okay. raised hand I see is Linda and David. At one hand that they're sharing, the two of them are sharing. I wanna just throw something else out here if you don't mind. Here in Philadelphia, there has been a lot of shakeup, obviously, you know, not just what's happening in theater in general, but with COVID hitting uh, one of the theaters that we had that did, uh, you know, new musicals was 11th Hour. They've just gone under, they've gone away. So that was really the only avenue here in Philadelphia for new musicals. Now, you probably have all heard of Playpen. Playpen is a new play development company that Paul Meshedjian had started. And a couple of years ago, just at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, he was, he and his administrative team were just basically blasted out of the universe because they did not handle, uh, you know, some situations. Well, the point is that Playpen uh, is now perhaps going to be picking up the slack for new musical development. And that is a conversation that we, that a couple of people here are now having with Playpen. So that may be another option for both Main Street musicals and what you're doing, John. So that's, I just want to throw that out there. That is, there's a new coalition of energy that's going to try and pick up the slack. Rashim asks something that's, uh pretty significant um, and we might we, we might as well bring it up. Uh, he wants to know if there's a search for diversity in musical theater among our organizations. I can say that, that there, there is a true. We are very, very dedicated to uh, nurturing and bringing into our circle BIPOC uh, artists and mm -hmm. trying to develop and find, we also, there's also an interesting corollary to that regime, which you may or may not agree with. In order for us to have submissions from the BIPOC community that are properly acknowledged and understood, we need to have readers that will relate and understand uh, those works. And we're also working on that. So we're working on it from both sides. I'm, I'm actually trying to bring more uh, BIPOC uh, leadership into True so that when we get shows, I don't have people saying, I don't understand this, I don't get it, which can happen and has happened. Um, I, I would jump in, Bob, and say the same is true at NMI, and it's definitely true, and it's in our mission statement for Right for Art, that we are, we are really actively looking for both leadership and writers, BIPOC professionals. Yep. Amen on that. So, uh, Rashim, is, is there anything else that you, that you want, to, want us to address about that? No, I think that what you said makes uh, sense, because obviously... There are going to be cultural references and things that come from a particular cultural experience and, and you know, in a musical in particular. 
Um, so yeah, you would need uh, readers from different communities, but in order to get readers yep. from different communities, there would have to be leadership that knows how to reach out to those communities as well. So that's always the case. Yeah, It's complicated. It's very complicated. And it's not just the cultural references. It's actually, if you have, if you have writers that have been raised uh, outside of the commercial theater realm, uh, they, they don't necessarily write uh, in in the voices that we're used to hearing in traditional theater. And so we have these raw voices, or, or maybe not raw, maybe they're sophisticated in a different way, but we have have to have readers who can who can uh, who can understand it, who can go, oh, I know what this is, or I don't know what this is, but this is interesting, uh, which is probably even a better way of of looking at it. So okay, that Linda and, and David, did you want to come in? Hello. Oh, yes, absolutely. First, I want to say thank you very much to both speakers. It was wonderful hearing both of you and definitely very interested in when you were talking about, I think, I believe it was John Sparks. I hope I'm right. It was talking about dealing with the Chinese option because we have the hip hop shows. And with our shows, we bring in people of color and people of different backgrounds and our shows have that. But what we really love to do would maybe talk to somebody who's connected to China because that's what we've been looking for and have them be able able to take our shows and turn it into you know Chinese because that's you're, you're right there's a it's a beautiful place to be able to have your shows for, to be seen the people that I'm working with are interested in uh, uh, developing shows in China by Chinese writers but I know there are producers in China uh, whoever is could somebody please turn off their was that your is that you your phone John no it's not mine no okay thank you there are producers in China who are interested in uh, shows from America, uh, and I'll, if I can uh, get a load on some, uh, I, I will uh, try to put you in touch with them, but the people that I know, that is not their mission right now. Eric Sirota, you have your hands up. Uh, yes, John, uh, uh, you, you had mentioned about pitching shows to, to producers which seemed sort of very different than anything that I've sort of heard about or maybe that we talk about here where one is pitching an idea for a show that hasn't been written yet rather than pitching a musical that actually exists. And, we had a, uh, we had, Eric, we had an entire conversation about this last week with Aaron, Aaron and Joe from Musical Theater Factory and from Musical Theater uh, New York Theater Barn. Both of them actually encourage pitching ideas to them. They they don't they don't necessarily look for finished scripts. Right. Right. And they're commercial producers, so that was a very you know that's a very different case. And then the other question I had was different: is what is the relations between NMI and 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 NAM? or uh, whatever the other acronym that you would mention. Well, no, no, no relationship. NMI is just a, a member of NAMT. It's just one of the- Oh, NAMT. Oh, I'm thinking of ANM. Did NMI change its name in the last yes. decade? Yes. Oh, that was ANMP. Oh, that was began with an A. Oh, okay, that's a right. different thing. Okay. It's now, well, now it's the same organization, just with a new name. A oh, so that was- I, I confused AMMP with them. Okay. That's Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. Larry Daggett, did you want to ask a question? Hi. Yes. Hey, uh, good to see you both, Tim and John. John, I was a member of your class before it was NMI. That's when it was the Lehman Angle Musical Theater Workshop. I looked at the website for NMI, and it's vast, and there's a lot of things there. 
Uh, for those of us who want to figure out how to get known there, what is the best way? What's the easiest way in to get to know? There's so many options there. Uh, write to me first and send me a, a, a very brief description of what you want to pitch and, and we'll talk. Will do. Thank you so much. So I'm going to do the wrap-up now. I just want to thank everybody, John and, and, and Tim. I want to thank you, my, my friends, friends for many, many years. Uh, happy to know you and happy to have you with us today. I want to thank all the community, people here that, that, uh, that joined us today. And I do this weekly reminder. Uh, basically, we do mm -hmm. offer this uh, for free, uh, for pay, pay what you can. We do hope that sometimes what you can means something. So uh, if you want to support us and support the work that we're, we're doing, please go to TrueDonate, T-R-U-Donate.com. That's the easiest uh, URL I can give you, T-R-U-Donate.com. And uh, just give us a donation if you can. Thank you, and also consider subscribing to our True, True channel. And that's it. Thank you, everyone. We need to talk about something. We need to talk about something. We need to talk about something. We need to talk about anything at all. Welcome, explorers of the human experience. This is Let's Talk Soul, and I'm your host, Claudia Monticelli. We're not afraid of the great mysteries of existence here. Soul versus consciousness, we're on it. Spirituality versus science, we've got that covered too. Join us in navigating these profound topics with wisdom, curiosity, and a dash of audacity. Whether you're a spiritual veteran or just starting your journey, Let's Talk Soul is your passport to the unknown. Let's Talk Soul, diving into the depths of the human spirit. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.